Hey everybody, welcome to Sporting Dog Talk. I'm your host, Tony Peterson. This episode is brought to you by Purina. Whether you're in the market for wet food, dry food, kibble formulated specifically for a puppy or maybe a senior dog, or you're running a hard charger that needs the protein and fat offered in ProPlan Sport, Purina has you covered. I feed my lab ProPlan Sport chicken and rice 3020 for a ton of reasons. But the main one is it gives her the energy she needs to hunt all day and the support she needs for her joints and her immune system. This episode is also brought to you by Lucky Duck. This is a company that won me over with their lightweight and bomb-proof Lucky Kennel, but their offerings don't stop there. I had my best duck season ever this year, and since I'm a terrible caller, I'm convinced that it had more to do with my decoy choice than anything. Spinners were the key for me this year, especially when I mixed in some lifelike, non-motorized options. Anyone who likes the sound of that or who might hit the field this winter for a little predator hunting should go to LuckyDuck.com and check out what they've got for sale. If you like what you see, punch in the code LUCKY10 to get 10% off your order. Lastly, this episode is brought to you by Canine Athlete. If you have an aging dog like I do, but still gets after roosters and other game birds, check out New Dog, a 3-in-1 supplement that accelerates recovery, reduces pain, and gives your dog a quality of life boost. They've also got the new Canine Pro Daily Probiotic for digestive and immune health. Taking care of your dog's gut microbiome with the right probiotic can help them maintain a healthy body weight, promote immune system strength, and keep their digestive system working the way it's supposed to. Go to canineathlete.com, which is the letter K, the number nine, athlete.com, punch in the code SDT20, and they're going to give you 20% off your first order. Before I introduce my guest today, I got to I gotta say something quick. We have a uh, store set up on sportingdogtalk.com. We just got this thing up and running. We've got some logo gear, some shirts, some hats, some other stuff, coffee mugs, things like that. If you're, if you're a loyal listener and you like what we're doing here, we would appreciate any support possible if you just go check out what we've got for sale there. Uh, anything, anything helps, and it, and it gives us a chance to keep these, these intros short and really partner up with just a few advertisers who we really, really want to work with. So I thank you for that in advance. My guest today is Callie Parmley. Callie is the editor of Gundog Magazine. She recently made the switch from being a total lab owner to a pointer owner. She has an English setter that she's been training and hunting with this fall. And she uh, she has a lot of real-world advice on what it's like to go from a flusher to a pointer and what it's like to go try to find wild birds in a state that's a thousand miles from where you lived previously. Uh, I love Callie. I've worked I've worked for and with her for a long time. She's she has such a good real world attitude and she loves dogs and bird hunting so much. Such such a fun person to talk to. As always, thank you so much for listening. I know there's a new bird dog podcast out every day somewhere. You can find you can find some kind of content that competes with us so that you choose Sporting Dog Talk really means something to us. So thank you for that. Come here, bear. Hunt dead, bear. Hunt dead. That dog is family. Do something with a dog. It, it improves your overall quality of life. But girl... Callie Parmley, welcome back to Sporting Dog Talk. 
Thanks for having me, Tony. Been a while. It has been a while. Uh, we keep talking about getting together to, to hunt something, maybe some roosters or something, but you live like 1,400 miles away from me. And at this, it, the last time we chatted, you were in the same place I was where you're like, I don't want to drive anywhere anymore this season. The whole reason why I moved out here was to stop driving like that. So now all my friends back in the Midwest who invite me to come back, I'm like, I can't, I don't want to drive 18 hours anymore. Yeah, it's it's just a lot. I'm I'm in the same place now. I have been I have been making the three hour drive to hunt roosters, and it has been so absolutely worth it. But three hours is a little bit different yeah, than eighteen. Exactly. <laughs> so you are for our listeners. You you were on one of our original episodes, uh, probably within the first maybe twenty episodes, and you are running a new pup now. Um, we're gonna we're gonna get into that and in, in the the idea of going from a lab to a a pointing dog or a setter and this this new world that you're you're in. Um, but let's talk about gun dog a little bit for the for the listeners who don't know. Can you just explain what you do and and how much of a superstar you are in the uh, the magazine world? <laughs> I don't know about that, but I am the editor in chief of Gun Dog Magazine and um, have been for almost two years now. Before that, I was with Peterson's Hunting. And, um, so yeah, I, I run this Upland, uh, publication and I think they, they gave it to me cause I, I had a bird dog and they assumed I could do it. And so, um, so far I've really enjoyed it. And, um, for the past two years, we really focused on updating the magazine, putting it, getting it back to a little bit to the more of the 21st century. And now this year we have even more exciting things happening. So got a little redesign coming in a, in a sort of a new direction with content. Yeah. So uh, a little teaser there. It was, you know, we kind of sat down and, and looked at the way that magazines were going. And surprisingly, even though everyone thinks print is dead, it is not dead. Um, it's actually thriving, especially now with people at home uh, quarantined. Our subscriptions have just gone up because people need something to read and to do. So we have decided that the way of Gundog uh, needs to go is to a larger, more beautiful format. And that means you're going to get a 120 page perfect bound what I like to call a coffee table esque magazine, one that's, you know, you pick up on the newsstand and you don't throw it away. Mm -hmm. uh, so really, you know, same, same direction um, that I've really focused on for the past two years, which is to focus on not only the dog training, because that is what gun dog is. It's about how to train your dog, how to do it at home or, you know, experts from some of the best dog trainers in the country, but also to focus now on the upland hunter, because that really is, the wave of it. Not only is it the dog, but it's the hunters behind it. Yep. Yeah. And you're, uh, I, I've, I've written for gun dog for a long time and I, I loved Rick, you know, your predecessor. And I, I, I was so stoked when you got the gig because I knew there was going to be an emphasis on sort of the DIY hunting with your dog and training your dog yourself and just taking it in that direction of like the ownership of the entire experience of being a bird dog lover and a hunter. Yeah, for sure. It's, that's kind of what I'm passionate about. I, I'm, I come from the big game world where I did a lot of, um, you know, DIY stuff. I really got into backpack hunting and, and took that over to bird hunting, you know, thanks to um, some friends and mentors. And I, I just really got into it. And I like to say that Lincoln really, Lincoln, my lab, he really made me into an upland hunter and the adventures with him and driving across the country and, and, you know, going to the, the mountains of Idaho and, and, uh, you know, Colorado and Montana and all of them, it really made me a DIY enthusiast, I like to say. And so I, I kind of saw that was the way that was going with upland hunting. Um, 
and knew that an emphasis for the magazine really needed to happen on that. And, and it's because I, I like to say too, that it's part of it is, you know, we're trying to new hunter recruitment is I get a ton of questions from people all the time of like, how do I get into this? How do I do this? Where do I go? Where do I hunt? And so I really saw that was a need in the magazine to tell people, here's how you go. Here's where you to go. Here's what you look for and here's how to do it. You know? And so that's, that's really what Gundog has, has turned into. And not only that, but you know, there's a new, um, enthusiasts, you know, for training your own dog. Some people can't afford to send them away to a dog trainer and some people don't want to. And, um, either way is fine, but here's how to train your, here's the tips we can give you to train your dog at home, you know? Yeah. Well, that's there, there, two things you touched on there. I, I hear about all the time are just the, there's like a fear factor involved with training your own dog because you're going to screw it up or, you know, head not a state or even in state to a new part of the state you're not familiar with and just not knowing what to do. And it's, I mean, it's almost daily for me when I hear from people who are like intimidated by either one of those things. And I'm sitting here going, you just got to go do it. Like a lot of the people that you hear from, they, they just, they just need like a little push, like, just go try it, go try that out of state hunt or, you know, like, the, the the lesson we're kind of trying to get across with this podcast lately is how how much you'll be forgiven for your dog mistakes. <laughs> you know, like not yeah. a, not every one of them, right? Like you got to be careful about the gunfire inter- introduction, water introduction. Some of the some of the biggies are real important to take seriously. But just day to day training, they're our dogs are amazing. They're going to let you get away with a lot of stuff, and you and you can own this process. And just dive in, and it's it's such a cool experience. Yeah, I, I I think people, and it's kind of I'm kind of a good example here because I've got my first pointer pup, I mean uh, English pointing breed pup, and I was so anxious about getting one because you know I've never owned a pointing breed before, I never trained a pointing breed before, and and that was I'm kind of the perfect example of the audience that we're really appealing to. Of these people ask me all the time, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I, I we want to be the guide, you know, your your printed mentor of how to do this, you know, how to get into it, um, how the little tips on training your dog at home and then, uh, where to go when he is trained and on your first trip together. And here's a train to look for, here's the birds to hunt, you know, things of that sort. And that's, that's really what we want gun dog to be is to be the guide for people to, uh, really learn and explore, but not just for the newbies in the field. We also want to appeal to the the older generation who knows how to do it has been doing it for years. And so we're going to tell them here's the new hotspots for this year. And here's some new tips from uh, the latest trainers and some new things that we figured out. So we really want to be the, the go-to information magazine. Mm-hmm. So personally, how do you go from uh, a lab to what you, what you're running right now? How, <laughs> is it geographic? Was it just curiosity? Was it just like a, an obligation to go through this process so you can share this information? So honestly, it was a little bit of both. It was, um, you know, as I grew as an upland hunter, I, you know, in Lincoln, he's, he turned, he just turned seven here a couple of weeks ago. I was realizing, you know, he's getting older, he's going to slow down. And, um, I also realized that I did want to have a pointing breed, you know, in my arsenal. And so as you know, West primarily a Western hunter, I knew a dog that ranged a little bit farther was going to help just a little bit more. Not that I had any problem before with just Lincoln, but so my grandpa raised English setters. It was, I was, I had a couple of breeds that I was considering. I was considering Griffon and 
some other things. And then, but it really came down to my grandpa raised English setters. So I had been around them growing up. So I kind of knew their temperament and their style. And so it was almost like an homage to him to, okay, I'm going to get a setter, you know? And so, um, then my research got some, you know, recommendations and finally settled on Northwood bird dogs. And, um, it ended up being probably one of the best decisions I ever made, but I'm not going to sit here and lie and act like I honestly had some, uh, and to be, I wasn't planning on moving across the country when I first put a deposit down on the dog. And then when I got the freedom to work remotely and I can move wherever, all of a sudden it was like, oh, this is a lot going on right now. You know, you just moved across the country from away from your friends and family. You've, now you have no one to watch one dog. Now you're about to get two dogs, you know, and I travel quite a bit for work. And so, and then it was like, maybe you should just enjoy your time in your new city, you know, and maybe, you know, and then it also came down to, I've had my lab for seven years and he and I have a really special bond. Are you sure you really want to add a different dog to that? You know? And so I had a lot of um, anxiety kind of going into it when Jerry and Betsy called me and said that they had a dog, uh, you know, a puppy formula litter had dropped, which by the way, the, the, the litter dropped late. And so it was gonna, I was going to get the dog right at the beginning of or at the end of July. And so it was, um, now I'm going to have a dog right at the beginning of hunting season. Do you really want to train a puppy right in the middle of hunting season? You know? And so it was a lot of anxiety around the whole thing. And, um, but I talked to Jerry on the phone. He sat down with me one day. He said, you know, Callie, this is, this is your prime opportunity. You're about to have a puppy right when you need to have one, you know, if this was meant to be. And so I was like, okay, we're doing this. And so I'm actually getting ready to write a future story about this for gun dog, because my experience with bringing Jones home and just the anxiety about, I don't know how to train a pointing breed. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't want to mess this up. You know, um, I need this experience, but what if I mess it up? And, and uh, the, the first night I drove across the country to go get him. I had my camper I called Tawanda and Lincoln couldn't figure out what was going on. He couldn't figure out why this new puppy was in the camper. Jones loved Lincoln because, you know, he's an eight week old puppy and wants to play. And I was, I had literally driven 18 hours and turned right around and driven back. And I'm in the parking lot of a Cabela sleeping and Jones hops on the, up on the bed to play with Lincoln and Lincoln snapped at him. And I've got Jones crying and I just sat there and I just started bawling. Like <laughs> I was straight exhausted, like straight. What did I do? You know, Lincoln, I'm so sorry. And I was just straight exhausted. That's what it was. But then after that, it just, honestly, it was just, I loved him the moment he came home. Like, how can you not love an eight-week-old puppy? I will say there was issues between him and Lincoln for the first two months. Lincoln was not, you know, he's a seven-year-old dog. He's not happy that there's an eight-week-old puppy in his space and, you know, whatever. And so, but now they love each other. And I'm more than happy that I brought Jones home. And just to see his training advance and him turn on as a young bird dog, it has just been so worth it. Uh, I love hearing you talk about breaking down and bawling. And because I love hearing how people are all just dumpster fires, even though we like present this awesome case that our lives are so great. We're all just idiots barely struggling oh, through. It's, I'll never uh, forget that. I'm, I'm so glad my wife doesn't listen to these. It, she doesn't pay attention to anything I create because it, you know, for a lot of reasons, but I'm glad she's not going to listen to this one because we're getting a puppy this spring and she is pissed at me over it. And another you know, lab. Yeah. I'm going to get another lab. I just, I love the idea of a pointer. I really do. Like I want to train one and own one so bad, but I duck hunt a lot and the, the, the cover I hunt in 
for pheasants, I just don't like it for a pointer as much. Yeah. And so my, my life stage right now is just lab heavy. And we, we do so much water work where I live that it just, it makes sense, you know? Yeah. And, and it fits your lifestyle a little bit better. It, it just does. And the, and the, the shed antler thing. And so I, I am going to go that route, but it wouldn't matter what kind of dog I was going to get. My wife is just not happy with me. And so she keeps grilling me about like, you know, I'm, I'm like you, I have to kind of plan out my fall for the big stuff as early as possible just to know like, okay, I'm going to be in Idaho elk hunting for 10 days. Right. Like I got to know. And so who's so, going to watch the dog. Yeah. yeah. So every time I bring up something like that, or, you know, I'm thinking about doing a Turkey trip here. My wife is like, Oh really? With that puppy at home. And I'm just like, <laughs> it, it's, you know, what are you going to do? It, it just is what it is, but I'm, I'm going to get one. And I, I just, uh, I'm glad she's not going to hear the story about you having a little bit of a breakdown over <laughs> Lots well, of travel and puppies. I think I had a breakdown for about two weeks, just between the stress of, of Lincoln being upset and Jones loving him, but Lincoln not loving him and me just anxious about his training, you know, and it's just, but honestly, it's just, it's been so rewarding. I've loved every second of it because I've really seen Jones turn on in the last two months and, um, that that has been everything that I've been looking for, you know. But I'm not gonna I'm gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say that it hasn't been hard. It's been um it, it's been, you know, I've read books, you can read so much, you can ask so much for advice, but and you're still anxious about whether you're messing it up or not, you know. And I've been very fortunate to have made friends out here with some some trainers who who um train pointing breeds and have access to private land so I can run Jones and try to get him on as many wild birds as possible. But I've been anxious about the whole process. And, you know, I, I, you see on social media, all these people post these photos of their young pointers pointing at eight weeks old. And, and when your dog doesn't do that, well, what's wrong with my dog? You know, mm-hmm. Jones didn't point a wing when I first showed it to him. And I remember being so anxious about it. I don't know if I texted you. I texted a few people going, well, he didn't point the wing. Like what, what, what's wrong with it? What am I doing? And, and I remember I texted Jerry, the, my breeder, when that happened and Jerry's like, well, show him a live bird. And I was just like, oh yeah. Cause he thinks the wing's boring, you know, <laughs> and, you know, right away. It was, it's just little things. It's, it was like, well, what's wrong with my dog? And that has been so upsetting to me that I base, you know, I think social media has turned us into these terrible human beings, honestly, but I, I you know, each dog is their own dog. And just because your dog didn't point a wing at eight weeks old doesn't mean that he's not going to be a good bird dog, yep. you know? And so I've, I had you write an article for the spring puppy issue, talking to a bunch of breeders about where your dog, honestly, where your dog should be in the progression. Because, you know, I started researching right when he didn't point and I said, well, when will his pointing instinct come out? And some, some breeders, well, breeders say, well, he won't point until he's seven months old, you know, but it's like little things. You see all this stuff on social and you think your dog should be here, but really they should be here. Yeah. And so it's, that has been the whole anxious behind my training with Jones of just remember that he is his own dog and he will come into his own when he is ready, you know, and what you can focus on though is obedience training and bringing out his bird drive, you know, his prey drive and introducing him to gunfire the right way and introducing him to birds the right way. You know, I had, I had people say to me when he was about four months old, I was getting ready to go to South Dakota on a trip and I wanted to take him because not to hunt him, but to get him you know, I travel a lot. I travel across the country with my dogs all the time. So I wanted him to get used to riding in the car and being on those long road trips. So I knew he was going to be at a place where he could hear gunfire. So I wanted to introduce him to gunfire. 
and I wanted to introduce them to birds and I wanted to do it in the right way. So I took two weeks to introduce them to both of those things. I started with a wing. I let them play with a wing. And then I, I had a, a frozen pigeon. I let him play with a frozen pigeon. Then I, when he was fine with all that, then I had a pigeon with his wings clipped and folded across each other so it would waddle across the yard and he went nuts. And then I let one wing go. And so it was flapping in his face, you know, to, 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 a, to do a very slow progression so that I didn't scare my four-month-old puppy. And the whole time he was fine and he loved it. He loved every second of it. Then I took him out to a field and I was playing with him with a live bird when my friend was, you know, 75 yards off shooting a gun and got closer and closer. And every time he was fine with that, I said, okay, he's fine. Let's keep progressing. Let's keep progressing. Had one flush in his face. He was fine. And, you know, I sat there and watched him and he was just loving every second of it. But I said to a few people, well, he's already been introduced to guns and birds. And they said, already? And they kind of looked at me with judging eyes. And I was just like, well, yeah, (laughs) if he was fine, he was fine. And if he wasn't fine, I wouldn't have done it, you know, but it's just, it's a lot of, a lot of people have their different ways of doing things. And everyone needs to remember that each dog is their own dog. My buddy texted me asking about introducing his lab to uh, gunfire. And I said, start off slow. And if you see any moment of something, the dog doesn't like it, then you need to stop and do it again a month later. And he said, okay, you know, like each dog is their own dog. And that's what I've learned throughout this whole process. Yeah. It's uh, following Jerry's advice. We had Jerry on not too long ago. And I love his philosophy on training dogs because his, his goal is badass bird dogs. Like I Mm -hmm. want a dog that loves to hunt, that just lives for it and gets out there. And he doesn't stick to some of the more traditional timelines of saying, you know, you can't hunt a dog in the first year or you can't introduce them. He's like, when they're ready, they're ready. And he works on getting them ready. And I think, you know, especially for our audience, that's such an important lesson is to know, like you, you don't have to... You don't have to wait the eight months somebody else says. If you're if you're watching your dog and it's showing everything, it's giving you all the green lights, keep going mm-hmm. with it. And yeah. that exposure, you know, like you talked about with Jones, Jones is young. And I, I just took a, my brother-in-law, and he's got a, a lab pup named Lenny, this little yellow lab. She's little. But he did the game farm thing a few times with her and got her gunfire introduced and everything, and he wanted to get on wild birds. And so we, a couple of weeks ago, we went down and hunted – and that dog, you know, it was so typical that, that we started out and my dog's just hunting and hunting and hunting. And we, we got into birds right away, shot one right away, did a little bit of, you know, fun play with Lenny to get her fired up. And by the time we killed our fourth rooster that morning, which was our limit, it was, it was a bird that both Luna and Lenny were working kind of at the same time. Luna was ahead, but you could see Lenny like not following my dog, following that scent trail. The bird got up, I shot it, and I called my dog back, and Lenny went out and grabbed it, and it was like on. She, it's, yep. it, and it was just like, that was a, it was a great hunt because it was a grass hunt. It was good weather. The wind was blowing. It was a, a lot of things worked in our favor, but you yep. could see it happen with that dog. And the next morning... First bird that got up, I shot and it came down wild, fluttered down, and I sent both dogs and Lenny picked it up. My dog didn't get it. Lenny got it. And she came back with a live wild rooster and she was like, this is, this is it. Yep. You, you could see it. And I know, I know people would be like, oh, that, you know, that dog on paper is too young from my experience. Well, you don't have experience with that dog. <laughs> like that, yep. that dog crushed it and she was ready. And when you see that, you know, that, that situation where you can get, you know, potentially another whole fall in if they're ready and they can get a season hunting a bunch of different stuff. It's so important to their development of the whole, one of the whole reasons you have that dog. 
Yep. And Jerry told me, you know, he told me from the beginning, the best thing for you to do is to quote unquote, hunt your dog, you know, get him out there running those fields and, and understanding the terrain and getting his nose into a bunch of bird scent and, you know, building that prey drive, letting him understand where you're hunting, you know, how you're hunting. And I don't expect him to point right now. Now, has he pointed? Yes. Has he gotten to point a wild bird yet? No, not yet. You know, he hasn't had that opportunity because wild birds don't play fair like playing birds. So, um, but he, you know, from the beginning, I just, I focused on making sure I introduced him to things the proper way and slowly and at his time and at his pace. And, um, I, I, I basically wanted to introduce him to gunfire because of some trips that I had for work that I knew he would be exposed to gunfire, but not necessarily out in the field with me, but he may be in the kennel and hear it, you know, and I didn't want to ruin him. And so anyways, I had, so when he was fine with it, I'll never forget when I took him out, took him out with my friend, Jared. Um, and we, we shot near him and I had a bird and whatever. And he just, he, he didn't even turn his head at the gunfire. Didn't even care. And then when we kept getting closer and closer and we flushed a bird and he heard the gunshot, he kind of looked over like, what was that? But then his focus was all on the bird that was flying away. And it was just so cool to see. And just, it really made me feel good. Like, Oh, okay. I don't have to worry about that. And, um, then after that, I, I had the opportunity to, to hunt down South. I had, a um, I was doing some long range shooting that happened to be on a game farm. And of course I brought him just to get him experience traveling. So I didn't have to ask someone to watch him. And when the guys heard that I had a young a puppy, they were like, well, you want us to plant some birds for him? And I said, well, I absolutely want you to plant some birds for him. I'm going to take that opportunity. And that was when he did his first point. He was probably four and a half, four, four and a half months old. And I'll never forget. I never expected him to point, but it was really cool because from the beginning, he has used his nose. And like, it is obvious that that dog, when he hits the ground, he gets bird scent. He is using his nose to find birds. So it was, I did not, but he hadn't pointed yet before then. And so, um, I happened to be filming him and he walked over to, he followed his nose all the way over to a bush where a bunch of chucker were hidden and on a dime, he just stopped and pointed. And I just, tears welled up in my eyes. You know, seeing your dog do that for the first time is just something you'll never forget. And it was like, Oh my God, this just happened. Everything that I've been so worried about because he hasn't pointed yet like other dogs, you know, Oh, thank God this happened. And so it was really cool. And then from, from there, um, I've just been focusing on, so what now? Everyone always says, what now? And I'm still asking myself that all the time. I still ask these people that I run with and their advice to me is, okay, you're still doing obedience training. Now we just got to hunt him and we got to get him exposed to birds as much as possible and just hunt him. And that's what we did. And, um, I went to Idaho last week or right before Thanksgiving and I saw a flip switch in my dog. He just turned six months old on the fifth and it was like, all of a sudden he got it. He figured it out. He got a bunch of wild quail scent in his nose and that dog just, I've never like a six month old puppy. He just started hunting. Like I, like you can't believe it was his nose is to the ground. He's casting back and forth in front of me he's ranging farther because he still is in that puppy stage where he he doesn't go too far from mom you know and so and I could tell when he got really birdie and his body would get low to the ground and his tail would get super um you know like a helicopter and he he didn't have an opportunity to point but what he did have was that it was clear that he was hunting because when, right when he got birdie birds would flush from nearby bushes so he was on their scent he was whatever and it was really cool actually I got to shoot a quail that he I was kind of watching him. I was like, he's really birdie right now. And all of a sudden a quail flushed to my right. Like he was on, it had ran obviously. 
And so it was cool because I, I shot the quail. He didn't point it. And I'm sure people will kind of turn their heads at that. But he, he, he marked it and watched it land and ran over there and he retrieved it. And so we had that little moment together and it was just really, really cool. So I, I love that. You, you said something there. Let's talk about this. So you, you said, you know, obviously the obedience training is still going on, but we're hunting. I, I think that's worth digging into a little bit because I think it's easy for a lot of people to look at it and go, okay, the training, obedience training specifically happens then mm-hmm. you hunt, but there's, there's kind of, I've seen some random stuff out there about like how you shouldn't train when you're hunting, which I think is crazy, crazy. And what, what happens or what should happen is, yeah, you do the obedience training. That doesn't, that doesn't end like that. There's no, mm-hmm. there's no sunset date on that, but the, the lessons that can be learned while hunting, like you're, 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 you're foot in both worlds there. And it's so important for the development of a dog. And so it like to think that there's this obedience stage that exists and it, there, I mean, certainly there is in the formative weeks with a puppy, but once they're ready to hunt, then you have both of those things happening at the same time. And I, I think that's when the world's meet and everything gets really cool for a dog's development. Well, I think if you don't use your time hunting for training, I think you're missing out on a really big opportunity because that's the perfect time to reinforce training. Like, yeah, you're in the heart of hunting and you don't really want to stop and whatever, but you're also missing prime opportunities that you can't really repeat later on when you're in the training fields. Like maybe, but that, that opportunity that needs to be taken advantage of. And I still do that with Lincoln. He's seven years old and there's still times that he ranges too far. And I'm, I use that as a training moment, like, nope, nope. But you know, even, um, if your dog bumps birds, Dave Carty, you know, wrote us an article once about it your dog's going to bump birds. Like there's, you know, especially a young dog until they figure out, Hey, if I get too close or if I go in there, then I, then these birds aren't going to stay still and I'm not going to get the reward, you know? And he said it best. He said, if your dog bumps a bird and doesn't, whoa, before you move on, call that dog back to you and put him in a, put him right where he was, where that bird was and set him down and say, whoa, that is the perfect opportunity to, reinforce your training that you've worked so hard in the training fields for all summer long. If you don't think about that, if you don't train during the fall while you're hunting, you're not going to train for what, six months. <laughs> you know, you can't miss out on those opportunities. No. It's perfect time. And, and believe me, while, taking five minutes to reinforce the training and then going on and keeping hunting is not going to slow down your hunting. I promise you that. No. And it's, uh, it's one of the things that we push on here a lot is finding opportunities everywhere. And I, I love that people are more aware of being able to take trips and find different bird hunting opportunities around them. And I, I know you live this lifestyle where you're just looking like, is it grouse? Is it quail? Is it pheasants? What, what are we doing this week? Because you have so many chances to get that dog in a position to learn and make mistakes. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's one thing I always, I, I really try to think about with my dog, um, you know, and this partially comes from the big game world that you play in too, where it's like, if you want to be a really good deer hunter, like you, you want to bow hunt deer, like and and be successful, you better go out and make a ton of mistakes for 10, 15, 20 years. And right. like that will make you better. And I always think about this with yep. a dog. Like we go, oh, my dog retrieves perfectly in the backyard or, you know, can do triple blinds in the pond. This is not play, you know, like that, that's play, like that's training. When you go out into the wild and you think about, I have, I have birds every year, you know, where I'm, I'm well aware they're going to come up. I can see my dog's body language. I know they're coming up perfect flush and I will miss them with both barrels bigger than shit and just go, (laughs) 
What, how, you know, how, like, how, how does that happen to me? Or maybe you know, we need some training in the field. Too. Well, it, what it is, is just a good lesson that you're going to screw up. It's the same thing. Yep. Like, you know how it is when you go do like an all day pheasant hunt, it's, it's, you'll find those moments where you're going along and you don't expect them to find birds. And so you kind of zone out and you're thinking about work mm-hmm. or play or whatever. You're, like, you're not in the moment and you'll just like subconsciously, you'll be like, I think my dog's birdie and that bird will get up and you'll be all flustered and miss it. And you just, you let yourself get out of the moment and it just happens. And we well, like, that happened we, to me last week. Don't worry. <laughs> it, it happens all the time. Like it, it just, it's just your nature, but we do that and we're supposed to be smart enough to stay in the game and be hardcore and get after it. Like, and we, we expect a one or two or five-year-old dog to not just have a few moments where it's, yeah. it just slips a little bit and it just, it just happens. Oh, that happened to me last week. Actually, we I'd been hiking. I had Lincoln out, not Jones and, um, hiking about two miles without seeing a bird. And so you start zoning out, like you haven't seen a bird in two miles, you know, and he got birdie and I just kind of looked at him like, yeah, you know, he, I'm sure there's some old bird scent there. And then a freaking covey of probably 50 huns busted out of this bush about 30 yards in front of me. And I <laughs> rattled and threw up my gun and missed, but luckily they must not have been hunting hard because they flew only about 75 yards for the landed and I was able to get back on him and shoot one for Lincoln. But, um, yeah, same situation, but I, I just see it like you do. If you don't capitalize on those moments, you know, it's in, in the training field, you're going to miss out on like six months of training. And, and, uh, and I can, I will say this, I completely understand that not everyone gets to hunt as much as you or I do. You know, I completely get that. They're like, well, this is my one trip a year that I get to go on. But that is your one trip that you've worked so hard with your, you know, you've got this dog and you've, you worked so hard to train them all summer. And this is the real life thing. This is the real life opportunity. And, and the, the bond between you two is really going to be built on that trip. And so taking that moment to, to work on those small little training things that training things that you wish you could reenact in the training field, but you can't. And so take that time in the field to reinforce flow or, you know, your, you know, your, flusher staying within 25 yards, you know, things of that sort. It's you're in the end, it's going to be really rewarding and pay off and it's going to make your bird dog and you a better hunter in the end. Yeah. And you know, the, the, the thing about the, the one trip, cause it, you're right. Like we we're really, really lucky. We get to go out a lot, but I tell you what, before I ever got into the hunting industry and I was working a job, I absolutely hated. I was actually working two jobs. I hated, and I had just relocated to the twin cities. I was Every day I was thinking about kickstarting a 20 gauge in my mouth because I'm like, I hate this place and I have nothing mm-hmm. here. I don't know where to fish. I don't know where to hunt. And you start figuring that stuff out and going, okay, well, I don't have the pheasants that I love or I got to go. I got to drive a couple hours to get to the grouse, but there's ducks everywhere. Or there's, you know, the thing that I found, which blew my mind was how good dove hunting could be in places where I just didn't see it coming. I didn't grow up hunting them. You know, it wasn't legal when I was younger. It it got passed through here in my home state. I don't know. It's been quite a while now, but you know, we're Northern state. We don't have the tradition, but I started finding like when I, when I, especially with my golden, I'm like, okay, I don't have the kind of hunting that I, I have to make a trip to find that. But mm-hmm. if I look around here and I kind of get rid of this victim mentality attitude and I go, okay, what's what's available to me here where I live in this place that is not great for hunting, I started finding these opportunities. And what I realized is like, yeah, you know, like shooting wood ducks, past shooting wood ducks is not the same thing to me as going out and hunting wild roosters. I don't like it as right. much, but I learned to like it a hell of a lot more when my dog was like, whatever, let's just go do it. And so 
yeah, just I, I just say that like as a cautionary tale. Like it's easy to think that, you know, I don't have the somebody else has these opportunities and I don't have them. Look around. There might be something you're missing. And it might be, you know, maybe it's an hour, you know, it, it, maybe it's something that that takes a little bit of an investment and a little bit of scouting, but there are opportunities out there for bird dog owners that you just might not be thinking about, or it might not be like, I want this, but is it good for your dog? Like, is this something you can do? And, you know, there's a steadiness lesson here in nice weather with this puppy on doves and, you know, that, yeah, you might not go out and shoot 30 doves in a weekend, but you might go shoot two and have awesome retrieves with your dog. I mean, there's things out there. Well, you know, what I love about this sport is that the dogs, I kind of wrote this the other day for gun dogs. The dogs really embody the spirit of this, of upland hunting. And we do things for our dogs when we get them. You know, like I said, Lincoln made me an upland hunter because the passion that he has for bird hunting I was like, that's awesome. And, you know, I've had other friends who I've tried to get to go upland hunting with me. My friend Natalie, she's more of a deer hunter. And she's like, she said the other day, she said, if I had a dog, I'd want to go upland hunting. And she's right. If it's when you have a dog. And I think that's really, really, really cool. And my, a perfect example is my friend Tanner from high school, one of my best friends from high school who lives in Ohio. You know, we're from Ohio. We're mostly, they're mostly all deer hunters. There is no, there aren't wild birds in Ohio. And he got a setter um, within the past year. And uh, he texted me and they, he and his family, he and his dad and his brother made a trip to South Dakota this year to hunt wild uh, roosters and sharp tails. And that's something that they, he's 30, you know, we're 32 years old. He's never done that before. I mean, maybe once. But you know what drove him to do that is that he got a dog. He got yeah. an English setter and he's been training it. And I think that's so cool that, uh, you know, getting these bird dogs really pushes us out of our out of our comfort zones and makes us want to do things we've never done before because we're doing it for them, yeah. <laughs> you know, because yeah. that's that's what they love to do. And that's what the bond between hunter and dog is really what drives you to do these awesome things. Yep. Yeah. And those those kind of uh, th- those kind of trips. You know, the, the, the traditional South Dakota trip for pheasants, you know, Kansas, Nebraska, wherever, those things, you you learn so much about yourself and you learn so much about your dogs from those trips. And I, I encourage everybody, you know, like to, to realistically plan them. So it, we're running into this with the, with the whitetail world where we've pushed the public land deer hunting thing so hard. I'm hearing from a lot of people who are like, I bought my saddle, I went to Kentucky or I went to wherever. I never saw a deer in four days of hunting. And I'm like, yeah, there's, there's not entire honesty in the message, right? Like you're seeing the mm-hmm. highlight reel from people who are really good at this and maybe have a yeah. lot of time. And so the the bird thing, like we have to be careful about that is like you you have to go into it with the knowledge, like you're probably not going to go shoot your limit by 1030 every morning and, and be done unless you go pay for that lodge hunt where, you know, you might be hunting wild birds, you might be hunting planted birds, you know, like right. if you're going to go burn through the sand hills in Nebraska, you're going to get your ass kicked a lot, but you're going to mm-hmm. see your dog figure some stuff out and you might bump into a random covey of quail or you might get those chickens that sit tight. And the overall experience is so awesome, but it's not easy. It's not, it's not like you're just going there to kill your birds and go through the motions. You're going there to hunt and it's, it's, right. it's hard. It's a, it's honestly, that's what I try to explain to people. It's like, I, I'm not going to fill a bag limit. I mean, I've gone out chucker hunting, you know, I'm still figuring out where the chucker here are in Utah and I haven't come home with one yet, you know, and it's not, I found them, <laughs> but that doesn't mean they're in good shooting position. But it's, 
it's not about that. You know why I keep going is because I enjoy going and I enjoy going with my dogs. Like I'm going to go on Friday and it's going to be cold and it's going to be snowing. And I don't care. I don't care if I see a bird because I'm going to be out there with Jones or with Lincoln, you know? And oh, last week when I went to Idaho's perfect for me, I, I just three hours, I went and hunted with a few friends and we were trying to find some huns. And I was there for two days and I came home with three birds. You know, we saw a ton of puns and we saw a ton of quail. Doesn't mean we shot them, you know, but it didn't, to me, it didn't matter. I was happy with one bird. I was happy with the one quail that I shot. And you know why? Because my young English setter came alive on that trip. And that was something that would always, always be ingrained in my head and a memorable trip for me. And I, if I didn't shoot a bird, I didn't care. You know, it was about hunting behind my dogs. Yep. Yeah. They, those, those more Western species, like, People love the idea of the big country chucker or the big country mm-hmm. sharp tails. And then you get out there and it's kind of, you know, like somebody that wants to go, you know, bow hunt antelope and spot and stalk them for the first time. I'm like, dude, so much fun, but you're going to fail <laughs> almost guaranteed. Like You're not going to get one. <laughs> nope. You are going to see a lot of them and you'll get some stocks in and you will blow them over and over and over again. But you'll, you'll, you'll build that foundation. You, you'll get over the hump. And you, you'll go, okay, maybe next time I bring a blind, I sit on a water hole. Or maybe next, next time I, I shoot a little more and I have a little better strategy, better gear. The dog thing's the same way. And I see that with people all the time. They, they kind of love the idea of like, I've never killed a sharp tail. I want to go mm-hmm. shoot a sharp tail. And I'm like, well, you want to go hunt sharp tails and you might not kill one. There's like, there, <laughs> like, it's not, it's just not easy, but it's one of those things where, yeah you develop with the dog and you see like just sometimes like I've seen this, you know, the first time that my buddies and I, or my buddy and I went down and we said, we're going to give Sharpies a real shot, Sharpies and prairie chickens. We just happened to walk over a hill when it was windy and bump into a whole bunch of them and kill one. And we went, Oh my God, this is possible. Cause otherwise, you know, we're running two flushers out on the prairie, like idiots. And we're watching these birds that are like, yeah, we've seen this movie a thousand times and you wouldn't, you wouldn't, they weren't in rifle range when they flushed, you know, let alone shotgun. And then you just walk over the hill and you're like, Oh my God, we got one, like a perfect flush (laughs) close. And you just surprise. And then you go, okay, well, how do we plan our route now where that's, that, you know, we're giving that dog the chance to get on them and show us where they are and, and maybe see that pattern play out. And it's just that really cool teamwork process of just learning together and seeing it come. And it's not, like you said, when you see one thing with the dog, like there's, you see special stuff. Like for me, but my favorite things every year, once in a while, it's a duck that just sails and she does some really awesome work on it. You know, especially if it's diving, if it's crippled. But it's always like one rooster a year that just does everything in his power to stay away. And you see that play out in the nice CRP and you watch the whole process. Like that is the kind of sustenance you live off as a dog owner for like the entire season until you're out there the following year. It really is. It's just so funny as us as hunters that just, I don't know what it is. I've backpacked for elk the past two years to try to bow hunt and kill one. And I've seen an elk from 300 yards away and I saw the butt of one this year. and. I still go back and do it. You know, it's like, it's just something we're passionate about. And with our dogs, it's the same thing. It's, I can go out twice a week and I may see one covey of birds. You know, it's, it's just, it doesn't matter to us. It's about being out there and doing it and the hopes. I always tell, I always tell people like, I don't care about um, shooting a bird. I care about seeing a bird. As long as I see a bird, it's a, it's a successful hunt to me. And just being out there with 
um, Lincoln or Jones and seeing them come alive, you know, it's so cool to see Lincoln. He just knows what we're doing instantly. You know, he just sees a shotgun and he knows, you know, we're hunting and just seeing them work and your, your training that's come all together or seeing Jones come alive and figure out what he's supposed to be doing. That really makes it all worth it. It doesn't matter if you climb for five miles and don't see, you know, any, or you see a bird flush from 300 yards away. It doesn't matter. It's all worth it. Yeah. And that, that point there of the, it's, it's the same thing in the big game world. If you believe you're going to see stuff, whatever you're after, Mm -hmm. it makes all the difference. All the difference in it. When you go out and you're like, I'm not going to see, like elk is a perfect example that you brought up. I've elk hunted for days, days in a (laughs) row and not seen an elk, not heard an elk, not found one fresh pile of elk poop. Like literally, you know, you're in a little coffin tent and you're not sleeping, (laughs) you're not eating very well and you're burning through the mountains and they are not there or you can't find them, that is the hardest thing to stick to. The same thing happens when you go out and you're like, okay, I'm going to hunt this bird or that bird and they're not there. And you see you see the dogs go, yeah, they're not here. Like you can see the, the body language change. And I'm sure they read that off of us too. The, the, the excitement just drains out of it. And it's just so important to just believe. Like just, just like there, if we, if we cover enough miles, we're going to run into one of these things or, you know, like the pheasant thing that I, I always try to get my buddies who have young dogs on is like, I don't, I don't care how many roosters we run into. I want to run into pheasants. I want them to get that really good hen flush and just get that snoot full of the good stuff and, and keep working at it. And it's not about having the limit at the end of the day. It's about the exposure throughout the hunt and the, and the excitement of the next one and believing the next one's coming. Yeah, I, I think part of what I'm really enjoying is figuring out where the birds are, the terrain that they're in, where what they're eating, where they are. You know, part of the excitement with chucker hunting, me trying to figure out where they are around me in Utah here is, uh, you know, I was successful a couple of weeks ago where I set, I score, you know, you score over maps and you're like, okay, this looks good. You know, you're looking for water, you're looking for this. And I chose the right spot. You know, I found, I found birds in the spot that I had chosen. And yeah, I didn't get a shot off, but it was still the yeah all right that you know i figured it out there they are and you know blah blah so that's just you know i think that's part of the process part of the fun just like it is with big game hunting you know figure out the animal routes where they're going what they're you know where the water holes are and blah 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 and um it's just been it's been really fun moving to a new state and figuring out the public land figuring out the birds you know i the grouse i i've never been a bit i've never really hunted grouse i hunted grouse once so i'm not an expert like you are on where they are and i thought I knew where they were and I still had not flushed one yet. And, you know, it's so funny to me that I see them when I'm elk hunting 24 seven, like literally they just fall rain from the earth when I'm elk hunting, but when I'm actually bird hunting them, (laughs) I can never find them. So my buddy, Jared, who moved here from Minnesota, I said, well, have I hunt these grouse? Like, where are they? I'm thinking, you know, how come I see them every time I'm elk hunting, but I don't see them when I'm actually out there with my dog. And he said, you need to look here, here, and here. And as soon as I did that, I found two grouse, you know, didn't get shots off, but I found them. And that was, I did it. I figured it out. You know, now I've got an idea and I'm just happy. I saw, you know, two grouse fly away from me and the dogs heard them. And, and, um, it's actually cool. We flushed a moose from her bed as well during that trip. But, um, you know, just part of the fun is figuring out the terrain, figuring out the birds and becoming a bird hunter, you know, that, that idea of being able to, you know, pull up onyx and find spots where there might be a grouse or find spots where there might be a concentration of something else. It's a, 
it's a really interesting there there's a lot of lessons in that you know we 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 pushed that through in the big game world so much and now it's bleeding into the the upland and the waterfowl market but what what you see happen is people go this looks amazing this looks like where they should be so i want to hunt there versus sh- would they really be here should they really be here mm-hmm. and there's a I see this with pheasants all the time. Like we, if you pull up to a spot and it looks like the kind of, kind of like elk hunting where you see like a nice meadow and the nice, mm-hmm. you know, quakies change in color. And you're like, this looks like where elk should be. Meanwhile, they're a mile away in the gnarliest drainage possible because that's where they can survive. And that's where the people aren't going with, yep. with birds. It's the same thing. And, and like trying to put yourself into those positions and really figure out, okay, what do they need and, and where are they going to be to avoid everybody else, you start learning, like you you tamp down that desire to hunt where you want to, and you start hunting where you think they're going to be. And it's a, it's a really hard lesson to learn until you get some success. And then you go, okay, well, it kind of sucks walking through this stuff, but it seems like the birds are here versus out there where it looks beautiful and it looks like a painting. And I should be there with my, my pointer should be locked up in a tripod point there. But they're over here in the willow thicket or the alders in this shitty mess that you're poking your eyes out. But that's where they are. Right. Yeah, that's what I kind of learned. I, especially in the early season, I focus on water, finding water. And now that it's wintertime, now I got to figure out, okay, they're not so much focused on that. Where are they going to be now? You know, things of that sort. And so can't really hunt grouse now because of the snow way up in the mountains. But I'm going to focus on chucker and huns and, you know, some late season roosters if I still have the still have some time. But yeah, it's, it's all about reading the terrain and figuring it out. And I think that's part of the joy that I find with upland hunting is just figuring it all out and finding the birds and just getting that one flush. And that one flush is really what draws you back to all of it. And so um, I've been really fortunate that I, I can now be out here. I moved out here, honestly, because I wanted to hunt more. <laughs> I was tired of driving 18 hours. And now I can just I can just drive an hour and I can be in the mountains and hunting, you know, basically whatever I want. And I, I think that's been really beneficial. So, so so you're, you're telling us that there's more hunting opportunities in Utah than Peoria, Illinois? Just a little bit. A <laughs> little, little bit more variety, a lot more uh, public land roam out there, huh? Yeah. It's, it's, that's very, that's been really key, especially getting Jones out and running and, you know, they say, make sure you run them on terrain that they're going to be hunting. So that you don't scare them when you actually take them out there and, I took him to the Tucker Hills and he's on a Tucker and he's hunted through the sage for huns and, um, and through the thick forest for grouse so far. And so it's just, it's been really beneficial to, to start a young puppy out in this, out in this training, have millions of acres of free training grounds for me, essentially. So do you take, when you're taking him out, do you leave Lincoln at home? Do you ever hunt them together? So, um, I try not to hunt them together because clearly they have two very different jobs and Jones loves Lincoln so much that he follows everything that Lincoln does. So right now Jones doesn't understand that he's not supposed to stay by Lincoln. So um, there were a few times when he was little and I went out and I was just like, I really just want to run his energy out. (laughs) So when we grouse hunted, he was out with Lincoln. But since then um, I run them separately. Yeah. Yeah. I run them separately. And it's mostly just because I don't want Jones learning what he's not supposed to do, you know? So, and maybe I hope to eventually run them together when Jones realizes they have two very completely different jobs. But, um, 
for now, it won't it won't be for a few years before they can they can run together. Well, you're uh, you you obviously have the competing styles between the two different dogs, but you also just have the reality that you have a young dog that's not mature enough to handle the distraction of another dog. Well, the, yes, that's that's right, and it's I truly do believe dogs mentor from each other, and I have seen that with Jones's obedience training for sure. Um, he follows what Lincoln does. He he when Lincoln's calm, he's calm. And it's been, it's actually been really good. I have a very calm set, a very calm six month old puppy. It's been very neat actually. Um, but he literally follows everything Lincoln does. So they cannot run in the field together because he will stay within 25 yards and he will flush a bird that Lincoln flushes, you know? And so they need to be very much separated. So, yeah, Yeah, that, you know, we, we talk about this a lot on here about, you know, taking, taking a young pup out with an established bird dog and, you know, the, the positives and the negatives associated with that. And I, I see, you know, typically where I'm at, I obviously my buddies are running flushers too. And the people who, who might hunt with me, but we kind of do this like, like with Lenny, that, that little yellow lab kind of do this world where you, you, you work together some, but if the dog, you know, if she's too focused on my dog, then you sort of just mm-hmm. peel out and you put a hundred yards yeah. in between you, or it, it drives my dog absolutely nuts. But like, if we're out there and we, we run across a little cattail slew that looks just ripe, I'll just sit down and make her stay with me and let the, you know, let my brother-in-law work that puppy through there. And Luna sits there and she's like, you can just see her look at me. She's like, you son of a bitch. Like, I cannot yeah. believe you're making me sit out. But it's just, you kind of, you I think you have to really pay attention to that in, in the interest of the pup. And go, mm-hmm. okay, is this good or bad? Or is this the distraction too much? Or is this working okay? Yeah, I will say, so I ran Jones with other um, pointing breeds to try to get him to understand it's okay to range farther. Here's what you're doing. I was hoping maybe if they pointed, he would, you know, back their point or go up there and be like, what are you doing? You know, what did you find? And I did, I will say that I did find that beneficial. um, But you're right, as a puppy, he was definitely kind of just hopping in the field trying to follow them. And then it was almost like last week when Idaho something just clicked in him and he no longer followed the other dogs. He no longer um, was just staying close to me, you know, within 10, 15 yards, he was hunting. And I don't know if that was because he realized what he was supposed to be doing because of the other dogs or if his natural instincts just kicked in. But um, I do think there is something to say that they, they will follow the lead of older dogs for sure. I would like to say it's mostly in the obedience department. Um, But I do think they can learn. And I say that because Lincoln, when he was a puppy and I took him out in the field to follow other dogs, he kind of watched them and figure out what they, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? You know, and he slowly figured it out. But I do agree with you that sometimes puppies can get a little distracted. They just want to play. They think they're out there playing until they realize what their job is. They're kind of out there hopping around following the other older dogs. Yeah. And I mean, that kind of leads back to the, you know, if, if there's birds around, it's a hell of a lot easier to get them to switch focus. You know, if you if you're burning through, you know, 600 acres of CRP that has no birds in it, that dog's going to want to play with that other dog the whole you know, time. That's, that's a really good point because as soon as Jones got a nose full of quail, it was, he no longer cared about the other dogs. That was, that's a really good point. Yeah. He was now hunting. Yeah, that's so. there. There, there's a lot uh, to that. I, I'm, I'm curious about about Jones as far as how far you expect him to range because he comes from big woods, grouse woods, you know, 
northeastern Minnesota kind of stuff, and now he's he's out in Utah. What what do you expect out of him? I don't expect him to be a seven hundred yard dog. I expect him to be a two to three hundred yard dog. Um, I think he will eventually get there. Right now, he's staying close because he's still you know following me around like a puppy because he is. But I do not expect him to be a huge Western ranging dog because that's not what he was bred for. And um, not that there is anything wrong with a dog that ranges that far, but I, I expect him, I bet he'll stay within 200, 300 yards, you know? And I think, I don't, I think me getting him out there right now and uh, getting him used to the terrain and what he's searching for, I think slowly he will start ranging farther and farther. Mm-hmm. Do, does Jerry have an expectation? Like does he have a, uh, you know, does he say I have dogs that are generally, you know, X amount of distance rangers, or is it kind of, it's just individual? Well, he, I did ask him about that when I first, cause I, I kind of expressed, I didn't want a dog that ranged a huge long way. And he said, well, our dogs are born to range close, you know, that we breed them to be grouse dogs. And, but Jerry runs his dogs on sharp tails and, and uh, quail down South. And, you know, he hunts in the Western States. So his dogs do range. He says, you got to get them experienced to do that. And I think to do that, I'm just going to have to keep hunting Jones and get him used to, you're going to find birds if you go this far, you know? So I don't, is he going to, is he going to stay close like a grouse dog? No, but he is not going to range 500, 700 yards. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just curious. Cause you know, you, you talk about, or, you know, we talk to a lot of different breeders and trainers from different parts of the country and actually different parts of the world. And you always hear, you know, kind of different perspectives on that, you know, like as far as like heat tolerance and, and how far they'll range and, you know, choosing a dog that has been bred in a specific geographic location and should be able to handle, you know, the conditions in the terrain in a way that's, you know, super beneficial. And, you know, you think about a, a transplant like that. And I'm just, I'm just curious where he's, where he's yeah. going to end up. Well, right now he runs like the wind and doesn't seem to run out of energy. So yeah, <laughs> it's been, I'll tell you what, it's been really fun getting used to, I'm a lab person, you know, I've had labs my entire life. I've had Lincoln and I bring home this setter who is a completely different um, personality. And it has been really fun because I just, I describe him as he's weird. He's freaking weird. <laughs> he is just so fun and so loving and just so different than a lab. It's, all my friends just love him because the best way to describe him is he has a weird personality. He's just, he hops all over the place. He's curious about everything. You know, you'll leave the, leave the back door open and he'll hear something. He'll come running in and he'll just peek his head around the corner. He's all, he's jumpy. He's just, it's just been so fun to really to have a different breed in the house and different attitude. And, um, but honestly, uh, one thing that really did surprise me is he's the most calm puppy I've ever experienced. He's six months old and, he doesn't bark. He doesn't um, chew things up besides sticks. He loves to chew sticks. Like you could leave him alone and he's not getting into anything. He'll be up on the couch and just lay down and relax. He'll entertain himself. You know, I'll be sitting here working for five hours and he'll just come running in with a toy and, and throw it in the air for himself. And so I think that's been a huge relief to me because it's not like with a lab of Lincoln. Oh, God, I could never leave Lincoln alone. You know, he was into everything. You know, I couldn't sit on the couch. I had to be down on the ground with him, you know? So it's been very relieving that he has been such a calm off switch puppy. Now, when we're in the field, he's running like the wind, but as soon as we're home, chill six months old and he doesn't, I don't have to worry about things with him. Do you, do you think there's any part of that that is just your 
your level as a trainer at this point? Like you, you, do you think that there was, you know, when you had Lincoln, you were younger and probably knew less about dog training than you know now. Like, mm-hmm. you think that's part of it? Like you're giving Jones a little bit more of what he needs to be, you know, satisfied in life. Yeah. I will say part of it's breeding, part of it's training. Cause I know Jerry and Betsy breed calm dogs. I know that because when I was there, their dogs were in their kennel runs and didn't make a peep. And I asked him about that. And, but the other half is, is that I do have expectations from an obedience standpoint. I like a very obedient dog that's not bouncing off the walls. And so I will say it's, it's a little bit of both, but it has made my obedience training easier that they bred him for this. Um, but yes, I do have an expectation that, Hey, you're not to be jumping on the couch when we're eating, or you're not, you know, um, you're not going to be bouncing around when I say hello to you, you're to sit down and I'm going to love on, you know, whatever. And I, I read that actually reinforced that in the, one of the Ronnie Smith's books I was reading. He said, don't pet them until they're calm. Because if you, if they're jumping all over you and you're rewarding them by giving them love and then they're realizing, well, if I jump on you, I get this. And so, you know, it's, it's very much, I do expect a calm dog in the house, but his breeding has made that so much easier. Honestly, That, that, uh, I was just talking to doc and about that with dogs jumping up on people and how we just set that precedent so early that we give them what they want when they jump on us and getting them to kick it. If you don't, if you don't set it straight right away, it's a lifelong you know, they, they know, they know they're going to get attention if yeah. they, if they hop up. Um, I, can I tell you a quick story about, uh, a setter that I saw last night? So oh, yeah. we had, uh, my little girls turned nine yesterday. So we had their birthday party out at this park and that you can walk around there's trails and stuff. So we could all be outside and they could still have some of their friends and they could ride their scooters. And I was walking with my, my wife was next to me and this guy came walking down the trail toward us and he had, uh, this just beautiful setter on a on a leash, and then he had a little tiny baby girl in one of those little baby carrier things on his chest. And like when he went by, both me and my wife were like, "Oh!" And I was like, "Did you see that dog?" And she's like, "Did you see that baby?" <laughs> <laughs> and we were both like focused on totally different that things. Is, and that's my life right there. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, Callie, where can where can people go to find? Uh, Find Gundog, what, the social media, all that good stuff. All right. So our website is gundogmag.com and you can get a subscription there or just access to all kinds of really good how-to articles and gun reviews and things of that sort. You can find us on Instagram at gundogmag, Facebook at Gundog Magazine, and just look for new and exciting things starting with the March issue coming out in 2021, 120 pages, perfect bound, a magazine that you're not going to want to get rid of. So new and exciting things really coming from us. But I should also mention this because people are going to go, well, I bet there's a price increase with this new magazine. And you are correct. There is going to be one. It's not going to be very much. However, you are not only getting six issues of 120 page magazines. You are also getting exclusive access now to Gundog Magazine, uh, gundogmag.com, where on the website you will be given exclusive access to training articles but not only that but training videos we are going to have a new video platform coming out uh sometime around march of april where if you are a subscriber of the magazine you now have access to hundreds of videos of dog training videos at your disposal when you want them uh all for a small fee a year now that's something that not many people have access to yeah that's awesome all right callie thank you so much okay we'll talk soon thanks tony That's it for this episode of Sporting Dog Talk. 
Check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and our YouTube channel. And of course, if you liked what you heard on this episode, please, please, please subscribe. That helps us out so much when we get to see the support from our audience. And lastly, thanks for listening.